an update now on a story that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, maybe just last week even. Uh, you, you might remember the incredible scenes of protest uh, on the streets of Israel last month, uh, just hundreds of thousands of people uh, united in opposition to Benjamin Netanyahu's plans to overhaul that country's justice system, coming at a time when he is facing multiple corruption accusations. In the end, he relented and the protesters went home. But the turmoil in that country, of course, is nothing new. And shortly after that, there was uh, a, a number of military incidents uh, involving rockets being shot from Lebanon and responses from Israel and, and on and on it goes. So let's find out exactly what's happening there and what it might ultimately lead to. We're going to chat with Daniel Dueck, who's a faculty lecturer on international relations at McGill University. Daniel, thank you for joining us. Uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. So let's back up just a little bit here, because Netanyahu has only been prime minister, well, well, this time, anyway, he's been prime minister for a long time, but most recently, only since last year when he won the fifth Israeli election in three years. Things have been pretty rocky and tumultuous for a while there, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, On the political scene, exactly. It's been very difficult for uh, any coalition government to hold. Uh, They keep dissolving. Uh, The political winds keep shifting. And this time he found a winning coalition uh, by entering into a coalition with some far right wing uh, extremist uh, parties whom had they'd previously kind of been considered beyond the pale, if you will, in Israeli politics, because they're, they're essentially uh, Jewish nationalists uh, who, who preach open exclusion uh, of and violence towards uh, Israel's Arab citizens. Uh, but, but Netanyahu found that he could become prime minister again by coming into a coalition with them, which gives them more power than than extremists such as such as those have ever had in Israeli politics before. And like you say, that upset a lot of people uh, in Israel, had people on edge to begin with. And then he proceeded with this move to overhaul the courts, which seemed to be a tipping point in terms of um, internal or domestic outrage, right? That was just too much for the Israeli people to handle. Exactly. That's right. A uh, majority of Israelis see themselves as living in a democracy, however, flawed it may be, uh, and it has been a functional democracy in a lot of ways since its independence. And part of that has been having an independent judiciary, which doesn't always, but occasionally challenges uh, the ruling party and, and, you know, issues rulings that politicians don't like. Uh, And this judicial overhaul would end that. It would make the judiciary completely subservient uh, to the political class, you know, so they could ignore court rulings if they didn't like them, and they can also appoint their own judges uh, who will support their views. And so that's been really unpopular in Israel across a pretty broad cross-section of the population. Yeah, and that prompted, I mean, just some incredible scenes with thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the streets. And it worked, right? He relented. He backed down from that and said, okay, 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 I'll, I'll change course on that that situation. That's right. He said he would postpone it. Uh, he he hasn't promised to scrap it altogether, and it remains to be seen whether he's going to try it again. I think he wasn't prepared for that kind of backlash, and he's still digesting uh, what this actually means. And meanwhile, some of his extremist coalition partners have uh, criticized him for giving in to what they refer to as anarchists. You know, they would have wanted to ram this thing through 
uh, no matter what the political price. So it's also making his coalition more fragile. So he manages to calm at least some of the, I mean, people weren't in the streets for a while, and then things get started off with his neighbors again, right? I mean, and we've seen rocket attacks coming out of Lebanon and things like that. What? How, how did that get started in terms of, okay, the domestic thing seems to be calmed down a little bit. Now you're back to the regional conflict that has always existed there. Exactly. The regional conflict is never far beneath the surface. Uh, so there were a number of different factors at play. First of all, uh, it happened to be uh, towards the end of the holy month of Ramadan. Uh, and so the third holiest site in Islam is the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem, which is under uh, Israeli control and has in recent years become a site of resistance and a site of protest where people go there to worship. Uh, on on holy days, but also while they're there, organize in favor of Palestinian independence, Palestinian rights. And uh, what happened this time was that the Israeli police uh, had a crackdown on worshippers, which was quite brutal, uh, which was caught on video, uh, and which quickly went viral. And so this triggered protests and also this wave of attacks from regional allies of Iran, which include Hamas in the Gaza Strip, uh, and which include Hezbollah in Lebanon, which didn't fire rockets at Israel directly, but which is hosting Hamas. Hamas has developed a a foothold in Lebanon with Iranian help. And then there are also Iranian-backed militias in Syria, uh, and so there was rocket fire from Gaza, from Lebanon, and from Syria. Uh, and this was also in sync with uh, a proclamation from the Iranian Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei uh, during a sermon that he gave uh, on, on a Friday towards the end of Ramadan, where he proclaimed that Israel is weaker than ever, and mm. it looks like it's kind of going to collapse pretty soon. Uh, so, So there are the internal tensions and the obviously the ongoing Israel-Palestine conflict, which relates to that police crackdown at the mosque at Al-Aqsa, but then it's also Iran kind of smelling an opportunity to test Israel's defenses and to test its cohesion by launching attacks uh, through its proxies uh, from a number of different uh, places uh, along the Israeli border, uh, which is also a way of signaling that any future conflict would involve multiple front fronts, would involve Gaza, Lebanon, Syria at a minimum, and, and possibly other fronts as well. So when you have, I mean, we, we know Iran's position on Israel, so when they come out and say it's weaker than ever and will be gone soon, I mean, the kind of turmoil and unrest that we're seeing both inside and outside of Israel, it, it's happened before, maybe not quite to the extent in terms of the internal protests, but that seems to be quieting down. So, I mean, is there any risk that what Iran is forecasting or predicting could possibly come true? Are things that bad right now for Israel? No, I don't think that they're actually that bad in terms of uh them being weakened to a point where their external enemies smell blood and launch a total war. Uh, I think, if anything, first of all, n- nothing unifies a population like an external threat. So, you know, the, Israel may be divided domestically over this issue uh, relating to Netanyahu's judicial overhaul, but if 
there were to be some sort of concerted attack from outside, they would quickly rally together. And I mean, they still, of course, uh, possess a very formidable military strength. So I think what Iran's strategy is going to be here much more is to just bide their time and to hope that these divisions deepen and sink in further. And meanwhile, Iran has recently found uh, a very wealthy and eager new sponsor in China, uh, which is going to help Iran overcome its economic troubles, help it also overcome its own domestic turmoil, which it's been having with a lot of protests there in recent years, and especially the sustained ones since the death in police custody of Masa Amini uh, for failing to wear her uh, headscarf mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in the appropriate way. So I think there's there's a kind of long-term uh momentum shift, if you will, that's happening on a broader geostrategic level in the Middle East. And and it, it perhaps shifts uh, the, the purely military advantage away from Israel over the longer run. It's not it's not something that's going to happen in the next few months. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't think uh, I think Iran would still be very cautious sure. about pushing the Israelis too far. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, always a lot of rhetoric out of that part of the world. Daniel, thank you so much for walking us through. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Have a good day.